to Matthew chapter number 14 and verse number 34. <clears throat> the Bible says, And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that he might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the good spirit of God here this morning, for the songs, the testimonies, and I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word, speak to our hearts, and help us, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Notice with me in verse number 34 of the Bible here mentions uh, some passengers. As the Bible says, and when they were gone over. I, I thought about the they in verse number 34. You say, who is the they? It's the same they in verse number 33. As the Bible said, then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Uh, that is the disciples as they are out on the sea. And if you go back and read the story, you know that they see Jesus walking on the water. They think that he is a spirit and he delivers them in the midst of the storm. And I want to say, I'm glad that we serve a God uh, that is the master of the sea, amen? He is the God that can see us through the sunshine and through the shadows, but thank God he does not fear the storm clouds uh, and he does not fear the storms that come uh, in our life. And so there is the passengers and then uh, there is the passage in verse number uh, 34. The Bible says that when they, notice this phrase here, were gone over, amen? In other words, uh, this journey of this storm has ended and now they have begun another journey in the walk of life. I want to tell you that's exactly how the Christian life is. Uh, sometimes you find yourself in the middle of a storm just like the disciples were and you don't know if you're going to make it to the other side but Jesus got them to the other side and just as he got them to the other side of the storm, thank God he'll get me and you to the other side of the storm and so there is the passage and then there is the place as the Bible said that they came into the land of Genesaret. Now time will not let us talk about this place this morning. We'll just simply move on but it would be a good study within itself. But what I want you to notice here is in verse number 35 I want you to notice this phrase here. The Bible says and when the men of that place when the men of that place. I got to thinking about this. I was reading this yesterday morning in my in my Bible reading and, and we come to that little phrase there and the men of that place. Now there's a lot of things about these men of Genesaret that we do not know. We do not know what their names are. The Bible does not give their names in this text here. We do not know their number. We don't know how many men there were in the, in the country of the town of Genesaret and we do not know what their personal needs are. Uh, because in this text here, uh, they are men who are not focused on their need, uh, but they're men who are focused uh, on the needs of others. Amen. I think as Christians, that's what we ought to be. Uh, we ought to be people who are focused on the needs of others. Uh, we're living in a very self-centered generation. Can I get a witness right there? And if you and I are not careful, uh, we will focus on ourselves uh, uh, rather than those who are around us. Now, I think about 
about these men this morning and, and I'm just impressed with these men in this verse. You say, why, preacher? Because even though we do not know who they are, but these men, what they do in this text this morning is they just simply stand in the gap and they make up the hedge in this town in which they're living in. They are men who rise to the occasion. They are men in this text who took the initiative. They saw the opportunity. They did not wait for someone else, but they provided leadership for those that was in that area. I think it would be safe to say this morning that these are real men. Can I get an amen right there? Even though we don't know who they are and we don't know, listen, what their need is, they are men of the hour. And can I tell you, if there's anything we need this morning, we need a revival of manhood, don't we? Amen? We need a revival of masculinity. I don't know why God wants me to preach on this other than he put it on my heart and it's definitely an issue in the day that we're living in and there's a book on the table and I haven't read the book but you can pick it up and read it later on biblical masculinity. And I was reading yesterday and I came to this passage of scripture and the Holy Ghost just spoke to my heart and said that's what I want you to preach on in the morning. I want you to preach on biblical masculinity. I tell you we need that in this hour. We need some real men. Can I get an amen? I want to tell you what masculinity is not. Amen. Masculinity is not some woman. Amen. With a pair of brogans on and listen some baggy shorts and a tank top and a necklace around her neck and listen some woman with a wristband and a butch haircut. Can I get an amen? That's not God's definition of masculinity. Amen. And masculinity is not some young man listen that walks around and he walks and he twists his waist like a woman. Can I get an amen right there? And all he talks about is eating fresh garden salads and how much he loves Pinterest. Amen. That's not masculinity. Amen. I tell every young man sitting here this morning that not below your chin it's called an Adam's apple. Amen. And why I know it is a thyroid cartilage and it's not completely impossible for a woman to have one. It is not called an Eve's knot. Somebody say amen. It is called an Adam's apple. Amen. And friend, we're living in the day when you've got to look at the Adam's apple to figure out if it's a man or if it's a woman. Amen. You might be here and say, preacher, I don't need to hear that message. Maybe you don't, but they do. Amen because our public schools and, and listen, uh, uh, all of our colleges in this day and time, they want them to believe there's 49 different types of gender. Uh, when God said there's only two in this book, amen, uh, God made a man and God made a woman and God gave one man for one woman for one lifetime. That was God's order. That was God's plan. It has not changed this morning uh, and it's sad that we do have to preach on it, but friend, we need some biblical masculinity in our churches today. We need it in society, don't we? I don't know why I was thinking about this, but in 1985, I was 10 years old. And me and my brother were sitting there and we was watching television. That's before Jesus. Somebody say amen. Well, I didn't get, I got one amen. All right, well, just hold on. It'll get worse, I promise. 
We were sitting there watching TV. I was 10-year-old boys, and, and my mom was sitting on the couch. We were sitting in the, in the floor, and I don't know why I thought of this yesterday, but I remember sitting there, and we was watching TV, and a commercial come on, and I don't know what we was watching, but that commercial that came on, it was an advertisement for a boy's doll that was called a My Buddy doll. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but I was sitting there, and me and my brother was watching it, and it was a boy's doll. Can you imagine that? I mean, it was a little old, uh, listen, it was a little old doll with a rainbow shirt, uh, had a pair of red overalls, uh, and uh, had one of them Three Stooges haircuts, you know, uh, and they was advertising this doll uh, for boys. And I just remember there's a 10-year-old boy uh, running out of a, or coming out of a, a tree house, uh, and he had that little old doll in his arm, you know, and them other boys was running behind him. Uh, and I remember sitting there, I was lost, I didn't know God, I was 10 years old, but thank God I had enough in me to know that boys didn't play with dolls, amen? I'm telling you, when I was a boy, boys wanted BMXs, amen? I'm telling you, if a boy wanted a My Buddy doll rather than a BMX, he was in real trouble in his masculinity department. Can I get a witness right there? Now, don't you moms and dads blow up on me just because I'm preaching this tonight or this morning? It needs to be preached in this hour. Brother, we need some men in this hour. Amen. You see, there's something wrong with your son if he'd rather bake cupcakes than to play baseball. Isn't that right? I mean, if your boy has a Pinterest account, I'd whip him. Just somebody say amen. Isn't that right? I mean, if he'd rather be a florist as a mechanic, you need to get on your knees and start praying every single day for him. And you need to keep him away from the the rose garden, amen. And you need to throw him out somewhere in a field and let him get mud. Uh, Listen, in his eyelids uh, and granny beads around his neck and under his fingernails. uh, uh, Listen, you need to make a boy out of that boy. Can I get a witness, amen? Uh, But at the same time, I wanna say this. uh, uh, There's more uh, to being a man than hunting and fishing and driving driving a four-wheel drive. Listen, you can do all them things and in God's book and God's definition, you are still not what the Bible calls a biblical man, amen. Just because you got a deep voice and an Adam's apple doesn't mean you're lining up with this book. And in this passage this morning, we could talk about the master, we could talk about this multitude that they go after, but I want us to think for just a few moments on these men. Because these men give us a good idea of what a biblical man really is. I want you to think with me first of all. I want you to see their mind. The Bible says in verse number 35, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they weren't like just any other men. When they had knowledge of Jesus, uh, there was discernment that came with that knowledge. Do you know we need some men in this hour that have some spiritual discernment? that knows that when he shows up, you see these men, they had an understanding of the value of his presence when they heard that he was there. They had an understanding of the value of his power. They had an understanding, it's clear in this text, of the value of his purpose. They knew that when Jesus came to town, he wasn't just taking an evening stroll, amen, but that Jesus had a plan, Jesus had a purpose. They wanted to be involved in what was taking place. It took 
took a spiritual mind to connect with the message that they heard. I'm gonna tell you, we need some men sitting in our churches when the presence of God shows up, they know what to do, amen? We need some men sitting in our churches that have spiritual discernment, that they know the presence of God and they value the presence of God and they value the power of God. You young men, listen to me this morning. If there's anything that you ought to desire after you're saved, it ought to be to be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? And I wanna stop and say, you don't have to be a preacher to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hey, that's a commandment for every Christian, amen? And if you're gonna be the husband God wants you to be, if you're gonna be the young man God wants you to be, and this is good for everyone, you know that, but if I'm gonna be the pastor God wants me to be, if you're gonna be the father God wants you to be, you will have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I ask you this morning, I ask every man in this church, what are you filled with? Are you filled with anger? Are you a hothead? Are you short-fused? What's your mindset this morning? Are you ready to knock someone's block off when things don't go your way? Are you, listen, are you filled with remorse, guilt? Are you here this morning, are you filled with perversion? Does your mind always go to the gutter? Uh, listen, uh, what goes through your eyes and your ears? Uh, where's your mind at? And mama, the same thing's true for you, amen? Isn't that right? It ought to be true about all of us this morning. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you, I don't know if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't know when you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're quick to point out everybody else's faults and you don't see your own. Can I get a witness right there? Now please don't die on me this morning. I just feel like God wants me to preach this message. What's your mindset? Are you good at investigating and inspecting the sins of others, but you can't find your own sin? You can't see your own self for who you are? Everybody else is the problem. Hey, is it everybody down at the workforce? I remind you, they're lost, and they're doing the only thing they know to do, and that's walk in darkness. But if you're saved, you have the light of the word of God that you can read every day. You have the light of the Holy Ghost that will help you and guide you and lead you. I'm Tell you, every one of us as men, we ought to be leading our homes. We ought to be leading our church. Isn't that right? I'm talking about our mindset is that we ought to have knowledge of him. We ought to take note and we ought to value the presence of God and the power of God. And we ought to value, my friend, the purpose of God. You see, it's a sad commentary in our churches and in our homes. When men sitting in our pews have financial goals, they have goals of education, they even have goals of entertainment and fun, but they don't have spiritual goals. They're satisfied at just going to church, at just attending the service. As a husband, you're the priest of your own home. God has laid the responsibility on you. You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ as high. We'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and I'll give an account for this church and I'll give an account for my home. But you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and you'll give an account for your home. You say, but I can't make everybody in my home do right. No, but you can be the example and you can live for God in front of them and you can do right and you can guide them and lead them and govern the home that God has given you, young man. 
you can be clean and you can be pure and you can walk with God. You don't have to wallow in the filth of this world. You don't have to follow humanism. Somebody say amen. You don't have to follow all the perversion of this world, but you can live godly in an ungodly hour. If Noah can do it, you can do it. If there was grace for Noah, then there's gonna be grace for you, but you're gonna have to gird up the loins of your mind. If you're gonna be filled with the spirit, that means you gotta be filled with the scriptures, amen? It don't happen by chance. It don't happen by accident. You've got to bury your mind in the word of God. You've got to study your Bible, memorize your Bible, not because you're a teacher, not because you're a preacher, but because you're a Christian. Amen. What goes through your mind? I can't can't be accountable for every thought that goes through my mind. But I sure can be accountable for what I let stay. Harbor. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. My husband, you wonder why your family's down all the time. Maybe Maybe you're the reason. Maybe you're always living in the dumps. Maybe you love to gripe. Maybe you love to complain. I I didn't mean to kill the service this morning, but I'm just telling you, the idea, the scriptural idea of biblical manhood is a man whose mind is like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind, Philippians 2 and verse 5, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're to have the mind of Christ. Uh, We can't expect our children to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't expect our wives uh, to walk with God uh, if we don't walk with God for ourselves. I'm talking about these men had knowledge of him. How well this morning, as a man, do you know Jesus? How close do you walk to him with him as a man this morning? Not only their mind, but I want you to notice their mission. Look at verse number 35. The Bible says, And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, notice this, they sent out into all that country round about. Their mission involved a plan. It involved a people. They were sending people out. It involved a place. Notice the Bible said, in all the country round about. This is not some whim of a decision. This is not, uh, this is not something that, this is well organized. Uh, whoever these men are, they have ambitions and Christ shows up and they, they, they seize the moment. They take the opportunity that has come their way and they begin to send other men out in all of their country. These are men that are on a mission. These are men that saw their neighborhood as their mission field. I wanna tell you, as men, we need to look on the fields around us and see they're white ready to harvest. Uh, Hey, every one of us has lost people on our street this morning. Uh, Every one of us has lost family members. Uh, And you may not be a man this morning, but you can still apply the same message. Uh, My message this morning is that it's gonna begin uh, with the men. Isn't that right? Uh, We as men must lead the way. We must have a burden for souls. Uh, We must have a plan. We must have a purpose. Uh, We must send people out. We are those uh, that God uh, has called upon to spread the gospel this morning. Can I tell you the problem this morning in our churches today is that too many times the burden of spirituality has been placed on the shoulders of women rather than men. This morning, it is my responsibility. Oh, I'm not telling you that I have fulfilled that responsibility to its fullest, but I am aware of the responsibility this morning 
that God has given me to guide the home, govern the home, lead the home. To, listen, as a husband, as a father, you're gonna have to have a backbone. You're gonna have to realize that your children is your greatest mission field. And while, listen, it's good to take them out and play ball. It's good to hunt with them. It's good to take them fishing. It's good to take them boys and do those things. But you teach them boys not to miss church on Wednesday night. Can I get a witness? Listen, you'll lose your boys if you put them on a ball field on Wednesday night and let them miss the house of God. You say, but Wednesday night's just tradition. No, it's Bible. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. You teach your children growing up. Uh, listen, that church, uh, or that doesn't evolve around your schedule, but your schedule evolves around church. Uh, that church is not a priority. It is the number one priority. For you never know on that Wednesday night, that may be the Wednesday night the Holy Ghost calls on them to be saved. That may be the revival night that God does something in their life uh, to shape their life for time and eternity. That may be the special meeting the pastor has called uh, that helps them uh, uh, through the greatest uh, and the hardest years of their teenage life. Uh, uh, Hear me today, man. Uh, Hear me today, husband. Uh, You cannot afford uh, to shuck your responsibility spiritually and think that you're gonna be justified uh, because you're a good worker, because you're a good laborer this morning. Uh, I'm here to tell you all of that is second to none if you're a poor leader spiritually. I'm afraid some men, and I understand, I understand the society we live in. I understand as a pastor that you have to work, and I understand sometimes you may have to miss church. I'm not here beating up on you about that this morning. But what I am saying is this. When other things in life become more important to you than the spiritual well-being of your family, you're gonna suffer greatly for that. I'm afraid that there are some men in society in our churches today. They have spent so much time making a living, they forgot to make a life. You only got them kids for a little while. Your wife is your greatest supporter. Is that right? This morning, that's your mission. That's your mission this morning. Look down that pew. That's the greatest mission field you have. You said, but Brother Gravely, I can't live up to that. I know you can't. I can't either. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can pray. When you look down that pew, that, that weight of responsibility, you know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to make us feel insufficient. It's supposed to make us feel like this is too big for me. It's supposed to drive us to our knees. Can I be honest with you this morning, 23 years being here, I can't pastor this church. I've seen preachers come through that thought they could, but I can't pastor this church. I know this morning the same thing standing here before you today that I knew the first day that I walked through them doors as the pastor of this church. I knew that the job, the responsibility that had been laid on my shoulders was far greater and bigger than I would ever be able to fulfill. And if I don't walk with God and if I don't pray, and I'm not telling you that I've always done it right, but I want to. If I don't walk with God and pray, I'll surely miss up. I'll surely miss it. And I want you to feel that same 
same way. I want you to feel that same responsibility as the head of your home. Hey, man, it's time you ship, you shape up or ship out. You're gonna lose everything you got if you don't take what God has given you seriously. Yes, you got to punch a clock. Yes, you got to make a paycheck. But your mission in life is to raise a God-fearing family. Got to do that. I see their mission. I see their ministry. Verse number 35. The Bible said that they brought unto him all that were diseased. You know what their ministry was? Was to go after these that were diseased. You say, Brother Gravely, how can I be a biblical man? Have a burden for souls. Have a burden for people who are desperate, people who are dispersed all over this country, people who are dying. I read a story several years ago about a man who was a pastor of a church and and in this little booklet I was reading, he, he told this, he said, whenever problems would come to my church as a pastor, he said, I would go knock on doors and pass out tracts. He said, I remember a time when my family was going through a great trial and I didn't know what to do. And he said, so I just got me a handful of tracks and I went and knocked on doors. And he went through a few illustrations like that and every time the outcome was the same that he would always go knock on doors and someone asked him, he said, why does he do that? He said, because God always lets me run into somebody that has it worse than what I have it and God would always let me run into somebody and help somebody and give them the gospel. He told about a few illustrations where he saw people get saved and he said, I would rejoice with them and he said, all of a sudden, you know what? My world didn't seem so bad. My problems didn't seem seems so big. I'm going to tell you winning souls will work and God will bless you for being a soul winner. Listen, you may not be a theologian, but if you've been saved and you've been to Calvary, you can tell them what Jesus did for you. You can tell them that old story. You can give them John 3.16. I'm telling you, friend, we can't forget our mission is the Great Commission. Amen? And it's not go and see results, but it's to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And there's people dying all around us and we've got to do what they're doing in Verse 35, hey, that's a real hero. That's a real man. It's someone that goes and brings people to Jesus. I see their ministry. Then I want to say I see their motive. Look at verse 36. The Bible said they besought him that that they might only touch the hem of his garment. You know what their motive was? Their motive was to beg the Lord on the behalf of others. They bring these lost people. They lay these lost people before Jesus. I'm talking about real biblical manhood is a man that has a burden for those around him. You know, we don't see people with a burden like we used to. You might be here this morning and say, well, I don't really know that that classifies being a biblical man. Well, I want to tell you something. No one ever had a burden like our Savior. Jesus was a man, wasn't he? And for 33 and a half years from from Bethlehem's cradle to Calvary's cross, uh, Jesus bore the burden of the sins of others. Uh, He bore the burden of those around him. The Bible says uh, uh, that we might fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Uh, It's constantly being aware and meeting the needs of others. And these men had the same spirit of Christ. Uh, They wanted to bring those uh, that were less fortunate than them. They wanted to bring them to Jesus. uh, And they begged that if they could only touch the hem of his garment. 
You know, I read that yesterday and I thought, I wonder where they got that from. I bet you know. If you go back to Matthew chapter number nine, just a few chapters, at verse number 20, the Bible says, and behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. I'm gonna tell you ladies who inspired these men. It was this woman. Word got to her or got to them what had happened to her. And they knew that if it worked for her, then it'll work for others. I wanna say to every woman here this morning, you ought to be a support to your, to your husband. Can I get an amen right there? Listen, don't be a nag to him and don't get mad at me for preaching that. If you get mad, that's because you're a nag. Now, I didn't call you that. I said, if you get mad, that's because you're guilty of being a nag. I reckon I did, didn't I? Well, I didn't mean to. Yes, I did. The only ones that get mad at, at preachers preaching on nagging women is nagging women. Amen. I could tell you something there, but I'll leave that alone. Amen. I want to tell you, don't be a nagger. Don't, 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 don't listen. Don't pull your husband. You say, well, preacher, if you only knew what he did, it doesn't make no difference, friend. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you what you'll do. For every fault, for every flaw you see in your husband, you won't nag him. You'll pray for him. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I know it's way past 12 o'clock, but it doesn't make no difference this morning. You love your husband. You love that home that we shouted about and sung about a few minutes ago. I'm going to tell you, you better let God do a work of grace in your heart or it'll fall apart on you. I've watched some of the most precious people that ever come through the doors of this church. I've watched them get sideways with each other, sometimes even with the church. And I've watched them lose their home. This morning I could take you to preachers and their wives who are no longer married. I'm telling you, it can happen to any of us this morning. Don't, you, don't, don't feel like, well, well, my marriage is secure. I want to tell you something. Your marriage is probably just like everybody else's marriage. It's 30 days away from divorce court, friend. And the word divorce ought to never come out of a Christian's mouth. This morning, I'm not preaching hard. I tell you, I'm preaching with a burden. I love everybody in this church this morning. I want you to know that. I hope you know that this morning. I love you. I love your spouse, your, your family I'm talking about, the fact that you got a good husband or a good wife. I, I love your children. I don't want to see your home fall apart. I tell you, I wish I could spend the rest of my days pastoring and never, never have to experience that again as a pastor. I know that if that happens, it'll be a miracle of God in the day that we're living in. I'm just telling you this morning, listen, their, their motive was that they were they had a brokenness. They had tears for others. You know why your heart may be so hard towards your spouse? Because when's the last time you really got a burden for somebody else? When's the last time you just shut the door in your bedroom somewhere and got on your knees and wept for some soul going to hell? You cried out to God in the tears.
tears uh, dripped off your cheeks and your chin because uh, you wanted to see them get saved. Uh, I'm not talking about just praying a little old prayer. Uh, listen, there's some people sitting in church this morning. Uh, it don't take nothing to tick you off. Uh, and listen, I'm not I'm talking about women. I'm talking about men. Uh, but I'm telling you, you're not tender to the touch no more. Uh, I'm telling you, even right now, uh, you're just ready to be done and go to the house. Hear me well this morning. Uh, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm just trying to help you. Uh, you better get leaving off your mind this morning. Uh, you better get your tears back, friends. Amen. Man, don't blame your wife. I don't care how mean your wife may be. You ought to pray for your wife. So why you say it? Because I've heard men say that before. They've said, well, wait, you don't know how you don't know how she is. I don't. But I know that there'll never be no tenderness in her if you don't get some tenderness in you this morning. And I see their, their motive. I see their, their motivation. Look what happened in verse 36. The Bible says, And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. You know what happened? These men motivated others to come to Christ. And I think that's the, the witness of a spirit-filled man of God. And I'm not talking about a preacher when I say that. Is that he motivates those who are around him. You know, there's some people you can be around, some men you can be around, and if you hang around them long enough, you'll be a smart aleck. Because that's who they are. There's some men, if you hang around them long enough, you'll be a hothead. Because that's who they are. There's some that all they think about is money and they think about more material things. And if you hang around them, that's who you're going to become. But let's turn that coin around just a minute. There are some men, you get around them and they love Jesus so much. And they got such a sweet spirit about them. It makes you want to love God more. It makes you want to live for God. Don't you want to be that kind of man? Don't you want to be the kind of man that when your family's having a bad day, you can help turn the tide in that home by a gentle, godly, good spirit? Don't you want to be that man that when you come home from work, your wife's not on pins and needles wondering what kind of mood you're going to be in? Your kids are not, not playing hide and seek till they figure out what your attitude is. No, don't you want to be a man that the circumstances of life, now I know they get the best of all of us sometimes, but it's one thing, Brother Laddie, when a circumstance gets us. It's another thing when that's our lifestyle. I don't, I told my wife this one day, she knows what I'm about to say. I said, I hope that when I die, you're not glad I'm gone. Y'all can laugh, she does. I said, I, I, I've seen that before. I said, Brother, Brother Danny, I told her, I said, I hope when I die, you don't go, Whew. glad that's over with. I said, because if you do feel that way, I'm not leaving you a dime of money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Have you ever, I, I've seen people that you could, that poor soul. It's like they got set free out of prison. And you couldn't pay them to marry again, not after what they went through. I hope when I die, Brother Wilson, 
I hope she cries her eyeballs out. I do. I hope she don't got to hire mourners to come in and weep. I hope she cries. You say, I don't want nobody to cry at my, my funeral. I want everybody to cry when I'm gone, don't you? You're, and you do too. You're a hippo. You know that. I want everybody to cry when I'm gone. That's just how we are. But what I'm saying is I don't want to make her life so miserable that she just says, you know, I loved him, but what about you? You don't have to be a man for that to fit this morning. If that shoe fits, I'll tell you what, you ought, you ought to put it on this morning. You ought to run to this altar and say, Lord, help me. God, put a sweet spirit in me. Lord, put your Holy Spirit in me. Lord, as a man, help me to be the spiritual husband, father. We need some biblical manhood, some masculinity.